if, uh, if you were with us last week, then you know that um, what I said was we were going to start a series looking at prayer over, and it'll run in different ways between now and, uh, and Easter, about our life with God. Being a Christian, the, there's kind of like a, the fundamental aspect of being a follower of Jesus is this, that you are given an invitation to a life with God, and as part of that life with God, the invitation is that you are able to come to him, to talk to him about the very ordinary messiness of your own life. And that God has committed himself to communicate with you. It's the fundamental aspect of being a Christian. Without that, Christianity becomes moralism. Where you just keep the rules. And you do the right thing. But actually, the life with God is richer than that. And you are called to a life with God in the midst of the ordinary messiness of your own life. And when prayer feels like it's one of the other burdensome things that we've got to do, and we feel guilty because we're not quite as good at it as we might want to be, we shortchange ourselves. Because what we shortchange ourselves with is this, essentially, and this is sort of a, this sounds like harsh language, but let me just put it out there, that if you live without praying, if you live without being alert to God and aware of God, you actually end up living as a functional atheist. You live as a functional atheist. It's not that you don't believe in God, it's not that you're not aware of it, but actually, functionally, practically, you're living as though there isn't a God. And what prayer and what life with God is about is actually coming in and recognising a number of things, but at least this, that God is at work. And that he gathers us into his life so that we might be part of that. And along the walk, as it were, we're able to talk with him about what's going on. Now, some of that sounds quite hard. Let me tell you, there will always be moments in your life where you go, I haven't got a prayer in me. And that will be the truth for any of you and all of you in the room, there will be moments where you go, I haven't got a prayer. That's why you've got other people around you. So that they can pray for you and say, this is what I would want you to do for my friend. The worst scenario of all is when you've got a church that nobody does that anymore. So there will be days, and it might even be today, where you go, do you know what? I've not got a prayer, I've not, not got a sense of how I could pray for myself. Well, those are the days where you go to someone else and say, can you do it for me? Can you pray for me? God's at work, and he invites us in. And as we pray, then one of the things that happens is, prayer becomes an expression of hope. It's long been a, uh, sort of established and, and acknowledged that if you want to crush someone, what you do is you take away their hope, whatever the situation it is. And actually what prayer is, prayer is fundamentally, even the prayer that simply is as simple as, oh God, help. 
is a fundamental expression of hope. Because whatever prayer involves, it's this. That things, A, shouldn't be like this, and B, could change. So the moment you pray about whatever it is, you're expressing something of hope. Last year, those of you that were with us would remember that we talked about what sort of church we were and what the values were, and we talked about these three aspects, that we were a growing community of whole life disciples, people who in every area of our life want to live um, with and for Jesus, but we want to be alert to God's leading, we wanted to be attentive to one another in the moment we were in, and we wanted to be good news, alert, attentive, and good news. And when we think about prayer then actually it's within that context of what does it mean to be aware of what God's doing, aware of what's happening to one another, and what does it mean to be good news for those around us? <laughs> I'm, you know, I think, we are, I think we do have this sort of church, but increasingly I want us to be a place where um, it's just very natural for one another to go... You know, when you're sort of talking about the week or what's going on and someone says, well, I'll pray for you and I'll pray for you now. Just that it's almost our sort of native language. Our native language. Because when I say to you, you know, if I come alongside you and say, well, let's pray now. Not an appropriate moment. Let's pray now. Then actually what we're saying is, this is the life we are living before God together. And the reason some of us don't do it, some of us don't do it, is... It feels a little embarrassing. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you can have your eyes open, you're chatting away, but the idea of closing your eyes is say something. <laughs> oh, no, I won't do that. <laughs> and I think the two things that go on one is when you pray for someone, you make yourself vulnerable. You make yourself vulnerable. I think the second thing is, we fear that we'll say the wrong thing. I, I, I've used this story before, probably more times than enough. When, we, when me and Maggie, when we left Guernsey, um, before we came to Salford 30 odd years ago, we were in Guernsey for three years. It could have been the other way around, but hey. Um, and uh, when we left Guernsey, um, one of the deacons who was from Yorkshire, who was one of those Yorkshiremen who speaks as he finds it. <laughs> and he stood up and he said, uh, you know, when they all say nice things about when you're going. And he said, uh, I've always liked it when Neil prays. Now I was 24 and I was sitting behind. In those days, pastors used to sit on the platform as though we were important. <laughs> and I was preening myself. And, uh, but he went on to say, because he gets it all wrong and all. <laughs> And it's true. It's that sort of embarrassment that you think, I'm going to get my words wrong. Or I don't know what to say. Or I'll run out of things to say. Your vulnerability and your sense of inadequacy are the very gifts that you bring to God. And God does something. So what I want to do this morning is read a prayer that Paul prays for a church, and it's kind of like what I'm asking is, if the Apostle Paul was going to pray for us as a church, what would he pray? So if you've got a Bible, can you turn with me to Ephesians? Ephesians 
chapter 1 and verse 15. And uh, I'm going to read just uh, a few of those verses. But uh, Ephesians 1, verse 15. Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I want to do something really simple. If the Apostle Paul was praying for us, what would he pray? I think the first thing he would do, because he does it in all of his letters, he would give thanks for you. And the interesting thing is, here's the Apostle Paul, praying for his church, saying, God, every time I think about you, I give thanks for you. He knows what they're like. <coughs> so he doesn't just give thanks for those of them that have got their act together. He doesn't give thanks for the spiritual ones. He doesn't give thanks for those who are really going on with God. He gives thanks for all of them. The book of Ephesians, he's going to talk about, really, the whole book of Ephesians is really about how you ensure that racial prejudice, and in particular the Gentile and Jewish tension, doesn't define you as a church, but that you're open to one another and you allow God to build something that is different than the ethnic separation that you've lived in all this time. And in the book of Ephesians, as well as that, he's also going to talk to people who have lived lives of immorality and still are tempted to. He's going to talk to people about who deal, who have struggles with anger. And he's going to deal with households and how husbands and wives and children, and if you've got slaves and if you're a master, how you deal with those tricky situations. So these people are not perfect. But when Paul prays for you, he goes, I am so grateful to God for you. When you pray for someone and they start off by saying, God, I just want to say thank you for Paul or Mark or Alan. Well, I just thank you for... That's never a bad thing to say, is it? As long as you don't go on to say, because you know exactly what they're like, Lord. <laughs> I just give thanks. And then he says, I want to pray that you'll know God better. I want to pray that you'll know God better. If you're talking to someone and someone says, how can I pray for you? My advice is this. Go big and go long. Go big. Don't say, well, actually, I've got a bit of a headache. Pray for something bigger than that. 
and go along. Tomorrow you will have a headache, hopefully. But actually, you want to live a life going forward. Personally, because I've lived in a context where I've worked with Christians a lot, and that's been my professional world, if you will, um, I'm at an advantage. I, I get, you know, over the years, I've regularly been prayed for as part of my work, and I, probably exactly the same for you in your office. It's, I, I'm privileged. And when people have said to me, how do you want me to pray? The one thing I've always said, when you give prayer, that I get wisdom. Wisdom. That's what I want. And, and for me, that's been my go big, go long. Because some of those days when they've said, how can I pray for you? There's been all sorts of things I could have asked for. But actually, this is the moment where someone else can ask God for the things that I long for. And what Paul does, he prays big and he prays long. He says, I pray that you'll know God better. And I pray, he uses something very specific now. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Father, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, rather, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. And uh, you might remember when we talked about wisdom last year. What's wisdom? How to live. What to do. How to respond. How to react. What the, the wisdom, biblically, is the art of living. I want to know how to live. And he says, I'm praying that you'll get wisdom. <coughs> and I'm praying that you'll get revelation. I'm going to pray that you get the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. That you'll see what other people can't see. That's why I've used that language of insight. I want to pray that Paul would say, I want to pray that you'll see the bigness of what's going on around you. I want, you to, pr I want to pray that you'll see more than other people can see. I want to pray that you'll get revelation. And that's not just in sort of like church terms. That's a prayer that actually where you are, whatever you're doing, you'll see more than is on the surface. I want to pray you have wisdom and revelation. And then he goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He prays that your head knowledge would become heart knowledge. That that's what he means by the eyes of your heart. You see, it's possible you know a lot about Christianity, but actually your heart, it's, it's the gun. It's the seat of where stuff's going on. I want that. Paul says. And he talks about it in three aspects. He says, firstly, I want you to know, deep down, I want you to be gripped deep down by hope. The hope to which he's called you. You and I were called into this big story of God. Creation, covenant, Christ, church, and the climax where Jesus comes and renews all things. I want the hope that pulls us forward into God's hope, into God's story. This is, biblically, this is the truth about what will happen to us. You will either die and go and be with the Lord, or the Lord will come. That's how this story ends. And if the Lord comes and winds up history, all things are renewed. If you go and be with the Lord, you go be with him until all things are renewed. You and I are created with a story of hope. And I want that hope 
to drag us forward into the future. That you are not afraid, that you are not alarmed, that you don't get discouraged, but actually you know the story and you live into it. And Paul says, I'm praying that you'll know that. And then he prays for this phrase, the inheritance, the glorious inheritance, in his, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. And um, lots of commentaries and people who know about this sort of thing argue about what he meant by this. I think I'm persuaded that what he means by that is this sense, I want you to know how good it is to belong to the people of God. And it makes sense because in the rest of Ephesians it's going to be about what it means for the Jew and the Gentile, this multi-ethnic church to come together. I want you to know how brilliant it is to belong. I want you to know the, view, the beauty of that. I want you to know what a new body looks like when it's not got Jew and Gentile divisions, when it's not male and free, when it's not rich and poor, when it's not strong and weak. I want you to know what it means to be a good friend. I want you to respond well. I want you to keep your relationships open with one another. I want you to keep on determining that you'll be forgiving of one another and doing the best for one another. I want you to know the beauty of that. You know the easiest moment, it, it, the, the easiest moment um, to say, yeah, isn't it brilliant, Christian unity, isn't it fantastic? The easiest moment is when you don't know anything about the people you're with. The hardest is when you know everything. Nobody finds it difficult to go, aren't these wonderful people? As long as we don't talk to you. <laughs> but the moment you know each other is the moment the challenge comes. And Paul says, I want you to know the riches and glorious inheritance in the saints. And the final thing he says is, I want you to know strength, power. His incomparably great power. For us to believe. The strength that is, and he'll go on to talk about, the resurrection power. The power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. I want you to know that strength in your daily life. Paul prays for a church and he says, that's what I want for you. I want you to know God better. I want you to know wisdom, to have wisdom. I want you to have insight, revelation. I want you to see more. I want your heart to be gripped by hope and belonging and strength. That's my prayer for you. That's what I want. That's what I'm asking for you. And if Paul were to pray for us, I think that's what he'd pray. And to be honest, it's the prayer we want to be prayed over us. But how does it help us pray for other people? When you're facing difficult situations, wherever they are, the danger in prayer is one of two things. Sometimes the danger in prayer is you want God to gang up with you against the person who's giving you a hard time. It's like I want to enlist God on my cause. God, I'm really miffed. And if you love me, you'll be equally as miffed. And so we pray about a situation. God, change them. And we get angry. And we use prayer as power but in a negative way or we become prayerless because nothing can change and so we despair 
I think what Paul is doing here is showing you a middle way. How do you pray in difficult situations? What does it look like? And all of you will know there are situations like this that you're living in right now. <coughs> so, how is your prayer shaped? And it's going to be really obvious. Pray they'll know God. Your husband, your family, your work colleagues, whatever it is that's going on, pray they'll know God. Pray that God will break in. You see, we all know that's the right thing to pray. <laughs> but actually, when we're in the midst of the difficulty, it's the thing that we get lost. God, I want you to do something bigger here. And I want you to, them to know you. Know that they'll know hope. The most difficult people are the people who actually struggle because they don't think there's hope. Pray that they'll know hope. In Christ, but they'll have hope. And know that they'll... Pray that they'll know love. Hope and love creates a new story. Hope and love says you don't need to be shackled by everything that's happened in the past. Hope and love says something new could happen here. It's why when Paul and the New Testament talk about these virtues at the heart of the Christian life, faith, hope and love defines who you are. Gives you a future. Gives you the past. You're not a slave to the past. You've got a new story. Pray for those people that you are struggling with that they will know hope and that they will know love. And pray that they'll know strength. That they'll act not out of panic, not out of depletion. Some of you know how it feels to work in context where it feels like every working situation is there's not enough. <laughs> There's not enough time, there's not enough money, there's not enough resources, there's not enough. And actually, let's pray that those people will pray, will know God's strength. And actually, they'll tell a different story. Now this can sound like church talk. And it can sound like nice church talk. But actually, what it needs is for you to get a, a sense of, if that's what Paul would pray for me, and I know how much I want those things then how am I going to pray for other people around me now? I suspect that most of us have prayed for some of those things over time. For some people. But the people that have hurt us, the people that we struggle with the most, the people that actually feel so intransigent, and normally those are the people that are furthest away from us, people we work with, the people that we're involved with, is actually having a bigger vision of this. God, could you do something remarkable in this situation? How do we live? A guy called Oswald Chambers, who was uh, around, knocking around in the sort of first mid-century, 20th century, suggested this. <coughs> live in a constant state of expectancy and leave room for God to come in as he decides. And I like the picture, this is a picture of somewhere in Germany, or Russia, um, and some people have clearly decided that they are going to live expectantly of birds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put so many bird trees, bird houses up there, because these birds will come. 
And I kind of liked the picture because I thought it, it kind of expresses this posture that I want to live in. And a, a posture of expectancy. That God will come and do what God wants to do. But my part is to have this big vision. I want them to know God. I want them to know his love. I want them to know hope. And I want them to know strength and power and ability to work well in their day-to-day -day life. I don't find that hard to pray for the people I love. I pray it hard to pray for the people I struggle with. Because those people I struggle with, I want to get God on my side and say, God, sort them. Get them. <laughs> oh God, get them. <laughs> last week we talked. Um, last week we talked about um, how do you do this practically? How do you how do you get this sort of shape of a life of prayer? And I said that what for myself, what I recognised I needed was a time, a place, and I needed a book, I needed a journal <laughs> to write stuff down. And today I want to say. In my journal, at least, on a month-by-month -month basis, there's just a list of people I'm praying for. And on one side of the sheet, I just put the list, and on the other side of the sheet, I leave it blank until I start to see what God's doing. And it encourages me. And sometimes, some of you are on that list. And it's really nice to be able to tick you off. <laughs> in the nicest sense because <laughs> the stuff I've been praying with you because you said to me this is what's going on and, said, and I have said to you I'll pray for you and I have and it's been good to see when God's answered those prayers and on a very basic level it keeps me praying for other people So if I were to ask you two questions to finish, who's on your prayer list? Who's on your prayer list? Is it just me and mine? How extensive is it? What do you really think could happen? Now you're praying for them. We've got a moment, and uh, in the moment, what we'll do is this. Do you want to just, where you are, turn to a person that maybe you've come with and said, what do you reckon? What's helpful? What was helpful to you? And I know some of you hate this, and so the, the rule is always, <laughs> you go first. <laughs> but, but just for a moment, just process something. What's helpful? What's a good reminder? Because nothing of this is new. What's a good reminder? What can you start doing? I wonder if you just go back to the, the, the outline of that passage. What you'd want God to do for you out of those things. Out of those things. That you'd know God better. Wisdom, revelation, insight. That you'd have heart knowledge of his hope, the belonging and the strength. And we're going to just pray together. If you can, then please stand and uh, we'll pray together.
But maybe you just want to, as I'm praying, you might just want you to sort of keep looking at the slide, really, and focusing in on what is it that you're asking God for particularly. For out of the overflow of your heart will come the blessings of other people. So come. Father God, we come and we hear the prayer that Paul prayed for his church and we, we would want someone to pray that for us. We would, because we would want you to do those things for us. The things that Paul was asking for the Ephesian believers are the things that we would want in our lives. We would want to know you better. want to know to have that spirit of revelation where we can see what's going on we've got insight Lord we want wisdom and insight, insight and revelation revelation and wisdom you know that we might live really well may your spirit come and bring those things into our lives Lord, there's probably not one of us in the room who doesn't know how easy it is for all this to say as head knowledge, but not be heart knowledge. Lord, may it slip to our hearts that we might live in hope, that we might be grateful, truly grateful for the beauty of community. And that, Lord, we would know your strength today. guess, Lord, the final thing is we would want to know that someone's giving thanks for us. That we're valued, that we're loved, that we are appreciated, that we're affirmed. And Lord, today we pray that we would know those things. Lord, make us a blessing to one another firstly. But Lord, may it spill out into those more difficult situations that we're facing. Lord, we commit ourselves to walk this walk with you. But Lord, thank you that you commit to walk with us much more than we have to you. Lord, may we walk faithfully with you. May you hold us as we walk with you. Come, Holy Spirit. might want to bring to mind those people that those difficult situations or people and for some of you it'll be like okay I'm going to start praying better prayers longer prayers, bigger prayers and for others of you it'll be like God will you help me want to because <laughs> you might be in a moment where you go I don't really even want to think about them but actually do you know what you can bring them to your father Come, Holy Spirit.